When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Banged it over to the far point. Held in by Bogosian. Stick shattered. Away come the Bruins. Over the line left side. Walking in. It's Bjork. Shot it wide. Rebound. Tucked in. And going for it is Richie. Can't find it. And they say they score. Back of the net. The referee pointing decisively. The Bruins look like they drive one home. Is it Mick Ritchie or Charlie Coyle who gets the first? Either way, the Bruins lead game 2-1-0. Well, I can tell you it is Nick Ritchie with the goal for the Boston Bruins, his first of the postseason, but then Blake Coleman gets his second of the postseason to tie the game up. Uh, the Ritchie goal at the 3:14 mark, Coleman at 12:42, and a great goal. Uh, two diving attempts. That worked out really well. Zach Bogosian had the diving pass to Blake Coleman, who had the diving stab at the puck, and it finds its way past Yaroslav Halak, who is having himself a pretty good playoff since Tuka Rask has left the bubble because of a family emergency. But it is 1-1, the Bruins and Lightning in Game 2 of their second-round Eastern Conference series, with the Bruins leading one game to nothing. A good start for the Bruins, but the Lightning have really ported on. They do not have the services of Ryan McDonough on their back end uh, tonight via the Lightning. Uh, he is out with an undisclosed injury, but they still got a lot of punch back there with Victor Hedman and Mikhail Sergachev and and, uh, and and others as well, Braden Coburn. and uh, So still a, a pretty formidable group, but uh, the Lightning, who uh, did not get off to the best starts on, uh, on Sunday, uh, they're up one, or they're 1-1 right now with the Boston Bruins heading to the second period. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, Hasn't scored, hasn't even registered a point in the last four games. So a bit of a concern from the Lightning, who are still pretty deep. I'd say the deeper team uh, than the Boston Bruins. I'd say the Bruins are the team that'll, you know, all they want to do is just, you know, round and pound, a lot like what the St. Louis Blues like to do. Uh, Speaking of uh, teams that have to bounce back, how about the Vancouver Canucks? They have to bounce back in a big way tonight after a 5-0 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights in Game 1 of their second-round Western Conference playoff series on Sunday. Well, they play Game 2 tonight here in Edmonton, a 7.45 start. And if you look at recent history, the Canucks were down one nothing to the Minnesota Wild in the qualifying round, did not play very well, losing 3 to nothing, and then won the next three games to win the series. And... Even though they won the first two games against the Blues, they lost the second two games and really did not play very well against the Blues, but got some good goaltending from Jacob Markstrom. Bo Horvat was very good. Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, good on the power play. And they found a way to finish off the St. Louis Blues after losing two games uh, to uh, lose a 2-0 deficit to tie the to have the series tied at two, and then they win that uh, series walking away in six games. But this is a tougher test. You've you got the Vegas Golden Knights who are – 
riding high here. They're eight and one since the NHL restart here in the uh, in the bubble in Edmonton. So they are very good. And as we had last night, Thomas Drance from the Athletic in Vancouver, who's actually here in Edmonton covering the uh, the NHL playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, said the Vegas Golden Knights did not look at their best and their sharpest, and they still won five nothing. And you know the Canucks were were far far from their uh, from their best against the Vegas Golden Knights. So here we are, Tuesday evening edition of 6.30 Chat Inside Sports. Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins tonight. I'm here all week. Reed will be back on Monday as uh, we take you through the Stanley Cup playoffs. We will be carrying, and we don't know when, um, but the NHL Conference Finals, the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, and the Stanley Cup Finals, which will be played right here in Edmonton at Rogers Place. We will have live coverage of all of those series as we uh, finish up this uh, current campaign of the uh, 2019-2020 season. When does the 2020-2021 season begin? Well, we're going to talk about this later in the show. Uh, Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner, uh, talking with NHL.com earlier today about uh, about this very subject. December 1st is the target date. Doesn't mean December 1st is going to be the date because there's a lot of moving parts here with, uh, with the COVID-19 virus, the health authorities, governments, the border, that sort of thing. And I reported yesterday, or I, I told you about a report that John Shannon had yesterday, who's a frequent guest on, our, on this station during our uh, face-off shows and on Oilers Now with uh, Bob Stoffer, which is being guest hosted this week by uh, Brendan Escott from noon until 2. And then, of course, on this show uh, from time to time, the um, concept of four bubbles, and you would have all 31 teams playing in those bubbles in eight-game increments and go from there. But Bill Daly did not really land on that. And I'm, I'm sure it is an idea that has been talked about and will be considered. But Bill Daly, I, I think today, didn't want to come out and say, yeah, we're looking at bubbles because I think uh, it, it would be silly for him to just land on one idea and say, yeah, this is what we're looking at. They're looking at several ideas. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. You can text in at uh, 780-496-0063. You can call as well. And there was a trade today in the National Hockey League. And it was a pretty significant one for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who both teams suffered uh, losses in the qualifying round. The Maple Leafs lost in five games to the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Penguins were upset in one of the biggest upsets, I would say, and I'll call it playoff history because, uh, yes, the qualifying round does count as playoffs. And uh, the Penguins lose in four games to the Montreal Canadiens and a very uninspired Pittsburgh Penguins team. And we had Phil Bork on last week or a couple weeks ago uh, talking about how he basically saw a very uninspired team. He's uh, a former Penguin, two-time Stanley Cup champion, and has been the radio color analyst for a long, long time. And Jim Rutherford, the general manager, came out and said, you know what, we're going to shake things up outside of a few people. Well, today they acquired winger Kasperi Kapanen in a deal that lands the Leafs a first-round draft pick. Defense prospect Jesper Lindgren and winger Pontus Aberg, who had a cup of coffee with the Oilers a few years ago, uh, were also shipped to the Penguins for the 15th overall pick in this year's draft. Forwards Evan Rodriguez, Philip Hallander, and defenseman David Worofsky. Uh, the trade allows the Leafs to clear some cap space. Captain a cap hit of $3.2 million for the next two years. Now, Pierre Lebrun of the Athletic said the Oilers were not one of the teams 
uh, involved in this or in, in, involved in any talks about Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, the Devils, the Predators, the Ducks, the Wild, the Hawks, and the Canes were the teams that were in on, and obviously the Penguins, in on Kasperi Kapanen. So $3.2 million cap it uh, for Kasperi Kapanen for the Oilers, that would be hard to fit in. And, and Ken Holland, the general manager, has already said, if we're going to make a deal for a, a player, we got to kind of have them take salary back. And $3.2 million is kind of hard to fit in. And, and Kapanen is one of those players that, I mean, the Leafs have several players that are kind of on the same level. Of course, they got over $30 million tied up with four players. But behind them, you have Kapanen, then you have Andreas Janssen, then you have Mikhaev, and you have a, a kid coming up in, in, in Robertson who, uh, you know, they're kind of on the same level right now. And if you're a team like Toronto has to clear cap space, that's a pretty good trade today. And Kyle Dubas, the general manager of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, who, uh, you know, always seems to be under fire at this time of the year and the time of the year being after a first round playoff loss. Uh, he said he's not open or he is open to trading the first round pick. Uh, their 15th overall pick in a very deep draft. It's a very deep forward draft this year. So that's something to watch. But uh, the Oilers were not in on Kasperi Kapanen, um, who was traded today to the Toronto or to the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, Philip Hallander is a player that, uh, you know, doesn't really wow you with his skill, but his smarts is the uh, reason why this is uh, considered a pretty good trade for the Leafs because they're getting a pretty cerebral player uh, back. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Chris 2.0 says, are there more injuries in the COVID-19 playoffs compared to the previous years? Huh? That's a good question. Kellen off the top of my head. I don't think so. I think this has been a pretty yeah, team I, playoff as far as injuries are concerned. I think the only one I can remember obviously is with us with Ellis, but other than that, uh, or sorry, Ennis, I should say not yeah. Ryan Ellis, Tyler Ennis mixed up Tyler Ennis. I should say, <laughs> uh, uh, of course took that spill and what was it? Game one or game two against Chicago and, yeah. and was out for us the series. Um, yeah, I know. I'm I know the Avalanche sure. had three players know. go so. out. Avalanche <laughs> had three players. They, had, they lost Calvert. Uh, they lost Eric Johnson. They lost Philip Grubauer. So they've been hit. But other than that, yeah, like uh, Matthew Chuck, obviously, with the Flames. We'll talk about mm. the Flames a little bit later on this hour with uh, our good friend Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in, in Calgary. But well, yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. overall it's been pretty. I know Gallagher got his jaw broken by Matt Niskanen in game five. So, yeah, I think it's been pretty tame. I, I agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, we could probably run it by Steinberg when we have him on as well. It's, it's off the top of his head, but off the top of our heads, I'm not, I, I think it's been, again, <laughs> fairly, uh, you know, par for the course. So, fairly yeah. tame. No, I hear you. Yeah. Well, Pat's a smarty pants anyway. So, you know, anyway. he would know. Yes. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the goaltender uh, market in the, for, for the Oilers. And there's a lot of quality goaltenders that'll hit the open market. Um, I don't think Mike Smith will be back. Now, if, if, if Ken Holland, let's put the disclaimer on now. And I think Reed has talked about this before that it is possible that Ken Holland may not have a choice but to come back with 
Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. But I do think that this is a this is an organization uh, that that Ken Holland uh, will be in the mindset that you know let's try and move on from Mike Smith here, who I thought showed a lot of battle and showed a lot of heart and good leadership and good hockey from about. I'd say January to the the pause, and unfortunately, he wasn't the better goaltender in camp, but uh, won the starter's job in game one and wasn't very good. Koskinen wasn't very good either, but was better than than Smith, but really, they did not get the level of goaltending that they needed. But Koskinen's here, he's under contract, he makes over $4 million. And if you look at the market, I mean, Braden Holtby, who did not have a good year, 3.11 GAA and a 8.98 save percentage, uh, his cap hit was 6.1. I don't think he's going to make above that, but that's still pretty rich. I don't know if the Oilers can get that, you know, if that's someone that they would target if they can get the money down to a reasonable level. Um, Corey Crawford, you know, we saw him have some good games, uh, game five or game four against the Oilers in the qualifying round, played pretty well uh, at times against the Vegas Golden Knights, but uh Injury troubles and, you know, Robin Leonard was the starting goaltender uh, for a while in Chicago before he got shipped to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Leonard makes $5 million. Uh, by the way, Crawford makes $6 million. That's his cap hit. I, I don't think he's going to sign for, for that or over that uh, come next season. Uh, Leonard might be due for a pay raise depending on what happens here. Uh, in the playoffs because he's the starting goaltender, much to the chagrin of Alan Walsh, who's the agent for Marc-Andre Fleury, who's also a good goaltender. Uh, Craig Anderson, I mean, he's 39. I'd probably say no. Oh, I would say no, actually. Um, Jimmy Howard, who has a history with uh, Ken Holland, uh, he's 36, 4 million cap hit, probably not going to make 4 million. But then you get down a little bit lower you know, Jacob Markstrom, forget it. I mean, he makes $3.6 million for his cap hit. He's not making that, you know, not at all. He's 30 years old. You got to think the Canucks are going to be in line to sign him. They're, they're going to be angling for that. But then you get to, you know, Thomas Grice uh, from the Islanders, who had a 2.75 goals against average, a 9.13 save percentage. And then, uh, you know, another, another player that I have been intrigued by in these playoffs is Anton Kadobin. And this year he had a 930 save percentage, 2.2 goals against average, been playing pretty well in the playoffs in place of an injured Ben Bishop. Then after that, it kind of drops off. I mean, Cam Talbot, I don't expect to be back here in Edmonton, and I think he has a good chance to sign in Calgary. Uh, you got Brian Elliott, who, you know, 35, and, you know, I don't know if he's a starting goaltender anymore. And then after that, it's pretty it's pretty uh, thin. But then the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I brought this up last night, that Jim Rutherford is likely going to trade one of his two goaltenders. Matt Murray, who's a uh, Stanley Cup champion in the past, makes $3.75 million. He's an RFA. And then you got Tristan Jari, who made under 700000 on his entry-level deal. And obviously will get a pay bump, but, you know, it's not going to be in the area where I think the Oilers would be out of reach for that. So I'm just wondering if you're Ken Holland, you pick up the phone and you go, Hey, what about a Tristan Jari? And maybe you still have a, pl- a platoon situation with Miko Koskinen. Or do you go, Hey, maybe we could get a Matt Murray. Although I don't think you can sign him for less than three, seven, five. You might, you know, you might get him for maybe that price, maybe a bit higher. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I, I think that might be a route that Ken Holland might have to explore is if the UFA market doesn't land him anything. And I think Grice and Kadoman have been talked about, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. I just think you have insiders that are kind of drawing lines, and I understand that too. Well, that would make sense for the orders because of the cap hit and, and whatnot, you know. So, hey, that's a good price. They probably could get them for, you know, around three and a half or three, seven, five. And well, okay, that's great. And I'm kind of doing that too. But uh, again, I said last night, Josh Yo, who writes for the Penguins for the Athletic, said the Oilers would be one of the teams that would likely be interested in either a Tristan Jari or maybe a Matt Murray, but I think Jari makes a lot more sense. And of course he knows Edmonton and he's from here. He's an ex Edmonton oil King and he had a really good season with the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, this year, all-star, that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting. The uh, goalie market is going to be hot and heavy and it'll be very interesting. You're going to see players that made big money, probably not going to make a lot of, or as big of money. And, and remember too, flat cap. So a lot of players, and I think the goaltenders, definitely are in this group too. They're going to sign for money they would not want to sign for, but because of the cap, they're just going to have to accept what the what the market is going to bear for them. So we'll see what happens. So the Oilers goaltending situation is definitely something to watch. I think they're probably going to be in the market for a vet forward and probably a vet D-man. I mean, do they cut ties with Andreas Hanson to see you, who's an RFA, and that's been talked about as well, big time. And also before we break here, Gaetan Haas, this has been reported by uh, – Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic, that Gaetan Haas is going to go back to the Swiss League to start their season, and he will have a chance to come back to the NHL and join the Oilers for training camp. Because we don't know when the Oilers will have training camp or the NHL will be ready for training camp because of the uncertainty with COVID-19. So uh, that's something to watch as well. All right, break time. Campbell and for Wilkins here this week on 630 Chat Inside Sports. All right, in the second period of play in Toronto, it is 1-1 with about 13 minutes left to go in the second period. The Bruins up one game to none on the Tampa Bay Lightning still to come. The Vegas Golden Knights look for a 2-0 lead in their second round playoff series with the Vancouver Canucks. It's game two tonight. The Canucks looking to respond and tie up the series after a lackluster 5-0 loss in game number one. News is next from the 630 Chet 24-hour news center with David Bowles. When we come back, we'll head to Calgary. Another first-round loss for the Flames. Fans are mad. Let's trade Goodrow. Let's play Monaghan. And, wow, do they really miss Matthew Kuchuk? Pat Steinberg will join us next from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. This Campbell and for Wilkins this week on 630 Chad Inside Sports. Back in a moment. All right, welcome back to the show. Dave Campbell for Reed Wilkins this week on 6.30, Chad, Inside Sports. Uh, this was amusing. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets head coach John Tortorella will pay up for being short with the media. NHL has fined Tortorella $25,000 U.S. for his conduct during a media session after his team was eliminated from the playoffs following the Lightning's Game 5 win over the Blue Jackets. Tortorella ended his news conference after two questions, got up and walked away. Uh, he, he does this quite a bit. 
I mean, it, this is not unusual that he would have a less than a minute media availability. He's just he's just kind of curt with the media. And yet, you know, we've had Jody Shelley on this show several times, who is the television analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets and has played under John Tortorella. He says, I love him. He's, he's a great guy to the players. He just, you know, he's kind of has a way with, you know, he kind of has an on-camera persona and an off-camera persona, let's just say. Now, if I remember correctly, the first question to Tortorella was something about uh, they really came on at some point during, because remember, it was a 2 nothing lead for the Lightning, then the Jackets scored four in a row, and then the final three goals of the game scored by the Lightning, and the game was won in overtime by Braden Point. And I believe Tortorella was asked, um, uh, they seem to really come on or you know the, you seem to be back on your heels and he says no 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 they only had three shots like okay and then uh the next question was how do you feel about this experience i'm paraphrasing but basically how do you, you know what do you take from the experience of being in the bubble being with your team being so close and he says i, I you know the touchy-feely stuff i don't think it's time for that and i'm not really to address that everyone's you, you all stay safe and he walked away um, I thought the question was a little ill-timed, but I would also say that, you know, perhaps, and I know media doesn't, they, you know, post-game, post-game questions make me cringe as well. And I have asked some really bad ones myself during my time. I, I hope I've asked less bad ones over time, but uh, sometimes they're not the most well-thought-out questions. And that's a question you might ask, you know, a couple days later. But anyway, John Tortorella, fine, 25 thousand dollars uh, my next guest here he never asked a bad question one day in his life it's uh, pat steinberg from sports at 960 in calgary our good buddy here on 630 chat inside sports pat is this true uh no i uh, can confirm oh. that uh i have uh i have asked plenty of bad questions this month i'm sure uh there's <laughs> there's there's plenty of bad questions to go around and uh i've uh, i've certainly had my fair share <laughs> I've had a couple of coaches give me the the side eye before with a question they didn't like. So I actually, I actually, <laughs> I actually didn't mind Tortorella doing what he did. I mean, I, I like I, it's it's always it's always kind of that dilemma of you know we're in sports radio and we always want people to say things and we don't we we get tired of the hockey cliches and all that type of stuff and then when a guy doesn't give you that then we get angry because he didn't give us an answer like, i i actually like tortorella like, I, I i i understood why he was upset i thought he was authentic i thought that was just an emotional response after his team was eliminated in heartbreaking fashion like i don't, I don't know if i'd be able to be much better than he was so i i actually didn't mind him walking off i understood it but i get why the nhl is, is tossing that fine his way yeah, no question, especially, you know, the way the format is with the Zoom calls and, you know, you can't be in the dressing room, you can't be in the same room with the with the head coach. And and I mean, right now, there's a lot of podium stuff at this time of year anyway, if, if it was under normal circumstances. But, you know, when it's you're in a bubble situation and media can't be there, you kind of got to hang in there. And, uh, you know, even though the question might not have been uh, the best at the time, but you, you probably just have to kind of suck it up towards and, and just just received the question. So um, I want to ask you this because we, I got this text before the news at six thirty. Has there been more injuries 
in the bubble compared to not in the bubble, and you wanted to weigh in on that. So uh, what's your thought on that? You know, it's interesting, and and, because that was one of the big worries coming into this whole thing was, geez, these guys haven't played in four and a half months, five months, and now they're going to be going right from not playing into a two-week training camp, and then, bam, you're into the playoffs and playing up intensity. Will that up the injuries? And, And I don't know. Like I, my my perception hasn't really been. I, I yes, we're getting more unfit to play, but that's because that's what the NHL is saying right now because of the world we're living mm. in. So, but I, I don't I don't know if if I actually think about it if there have been any more injuries. Like for instance, we found out yesterday the Flames Flames had one injury that that affected a guy not being able to play in their series with Dallas, and that was. Matthew Kachuk, who had the concussion he sustained in Game 2. Otherwise, the Flames were pretty healthy. Now, we found out that two guys were playing through somewhat significant injuries. Sam Bennett had a torn triceps muscle, and Rasmus Anderson had a broken foot. But, you know, those guys would have been playing through those injuries regardless, whether it was COVID times or not. So, I uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't... I, and I'm just trying to think around the league. Like, I, I haven't really felt like there's been any more injuries through round one of an intense and physical postseason now into round two than in any other years. It was certainly something that I had my eye on and certainly something that I thought could be the case, but I don't know if it's necessarily played itself like out like that as of yet. Pat Steinberg joining us here on 630 Chet Inside Sports uh, from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. He hosts their uh, their hockey broadcast and uh, after a four-game win in the qualifying round over the Winnipeg Jets, uh, 12 seconds away from a 3-1 series lead on the Dallas Stars, and that didn't happen. Lose that game 5-4, uh, lose 2-1 in game 5, and uh, game 6 up 3 nothing. and then with a blink of an eye, it felt like just that lead evaporated. Uh, I'm just going to just ask the general question. What happened in your mind from 12 seconds away from a 3-1 series lead that turned into a six-game loss? Well, I think I think – more than anything else, the Flames for a second time in the series didn't really manage the end of a game properly. And I thought there was a little bit of, I don't know what the right word is, whether it's uh, immaturity or lack of maturity, whatever whatever term you want to use. There there were two instances of that in this series. And one of them, they had an opportunity to at the very least push it to overtime in a, in a game two scenario where they could have been a shot away from a 2-0 series lead. And then as you mentioned, uh, the 12 second uh, 11.8 was on the clock when, when Joe Pavelski completed his hat trick and, and tied the game for the Dallas Stars in game four to send it to overtime. Uh, I just, this, this team did not manage tough situations, pushback situations very well. In game two, they came back from a two-goal deficit in the third period and then just completely discombobulated and and managed the final three minutes in as bad a fashion I can remember. And next thing you know, Jamie Alexiak is winning it with less than a minute to go. And then game four, the Stars had been the better team for most of that game. They were the better team for most of game three, but Cam Talbot pitched a shutout and and played really good to give the Flames a 2-1 series lead. And the Stars just would not go away. They would not stop pressing. And a couple of really bad decisions by the Flames 
Flames, a clear up the middle and then uh, an inability from Elias Lindholm to get it out and and uh, a clean entry from John Klingberg. It just all of those things combined and, and it just was, a, again, poor management at a key time. And, and that was kind of the theme of, of this series in a lot of ways. Like the, okay, so... so that game happens, and then the Stars win it in overtime, and it's a 2-2 series tie, but it's still a best of three. It's still a scenario where the mm-hmm. Flames are, are right in this thing, and then you, you look at game six, and they did not manage that very well after they went up 3 nothing. and yes, we can talk all we want about Cam Talbot, and he let in a bad goal at, at 3-1, and David Riddick couldn't uh, stem the tide when he came in at a controversial goaltending pull, but you know, the Flames did not manage that 3 nothing lead very well. They had a 3-0 lead. They had an opportunity to continue driving the stake into a Stars team that looked completely ill-prepared for Game 6. And Milan Lucic takes a really dumb penalty. And some would think that it was a soft call, uh, a scoreboard call, or, or some would call it just a little undisciplined and overzealous. Regardless, Lucic takes it, and off the penalty box he goes, and the Stars score to stop the bleeding, and it's 3-1. And then they get to the intermission down 3-1, and again, not a very good way to manage the second period. Cam Talbot lets in a bad goal in the first minute to make it 3-2, but then the Flames had, had no semblance of structure for the next eight or nine minutes, and, and it was like, oh no, we had a 3 nothing lead, and now it's 3-2, what do we do? And the next thing you know, it's 3-3. Lucic takes another bad penalty, this time a delay a game, and now the the wheels have completely fallen off, and, and there's a bad goaltending pull, I believe anyway, a bad goaltending pull, and, and it just, th- mm-hmm. this was, this is a series where the Flames did not at key times come with their game plan or execute their game plan the way that they needed to and a experienced and pretty deep and good Dallas team on the other side was able to take full advantage of that. So I thought Dallas was the better team over the course of the series. I really did. I believe the better team won in the series, but the better team doesn't always have to win. And the Flames, as you mentioned, were seconds away from being up 3-1, and they were in a great spot to force a Game 7 where anything could happen, and, and they just did not manage key moments very well. They did not manage the swings and momentum of a game or a series very well, and that's why they're out in the first round for a third consecutive trip to the playoffs. Pat Steinberg joining us from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary as we're putting a bow on the uh, uh, a disappointing end to the Calgary Flames season. Uh, Brad Marchant scored his, has just scored his fifth goal of the playoffs. The Bruins have a late second period lead on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now 2-1 as the Bruins try to take a two games to none lead in their second round playoff series with the Tampa Bay Lightning. You mentioned Lucic, you mentioned Talbot. Um, I guess if you were to put a top, if I was to put a top five list of best flames they would probably be on it uh say sam bennett would be on it andrew magiapane would be on it i'm not sure who else you would put there um johnny goodrow sean monahan uh, elias glenholm i thought was not too bad but those two are going to get the get the focus uh monahan and and johnny goodrow and i know giordano didn't have you know maybe production wise have the best playoff but it's going to be those two players again and I know there's been talk. You got to trade Goodrow. You got to trade Monahan. Well, there'd be teams lined up ready to make that deal if the if the Flames wanted to do that. But uh, going forward, including those two, which I I can't see either of them going. But what does Brad Treleving do to do it, to address the 
the flaws on the roster or, you know, just does he try to shake it up a little bit? Well, it's, it's funny, Dave, because this season, I mean, nobody planned a four month break in the middle of it, but this season was Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways supposed to be kind of the true litmus test evaluation, whatever measuring stick, like this core group of players has been together now for, you know, in some cases, some of these guys, seven years, some of them four or five years. And really, other than a, a 2015 miracle season where they were able to somehow get the best draw in round number one and beat Vancouver, and this, this is a Flames team that has not really had a lot of success, and, and everybody has been buzzing about how good and how, how strong their young core is with Monaghan and Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett, the fourth overall pick, and they went out and they got Lindholm and Hannafin from the Hurricanes, and there's a Norris Trophy winner and Mark Giordano and all these things, and all those things, I guess, are true, but they have yet to be able to truly get over the playoff hump. I mean, I, I, I really right. have a tough time looking at 2015 where they won their only playoff. They won one playoff round since 2004, and it was that round. And I even have a hard time saying that, you know, that that counts with this core as a playoff win because they, they the core was, in a lot of ways, Mark Giordano didn't play, and it was the rookie year for Gaudreau and the second year for Monaghan. Like, I look far more at the last three trips to the playoffs. 2017, where they were swept against the Ducks. 2019, where they were uh, victims of a gentleman sweep to the Avalanche. And then this year, when they go out in six games, and, and I thought were the second best team for a good chunk of the series, to the Dallas Stars. And, and so I think if you're proud to living, you look at it and say, this core group has been given plenty of chances. They have underachieved in the regular season at times and missed the playoffs. They certainly have not been able to get the job done, whether they're an eight seed or a one seed in the postseason. And I, I look at it and say to myself that if I were him, that this core hasn't worked. And so something has to be done. Now, what, what I, where I, stop short and where I push back on fans down here is I don't think you go into this offseason and say we have to trade Johnny Gaudreau or we have to trade Sean Monaghan because that's where you put yourself in a spot where you end up making a bad trade that's where you end up and I, I hate to bring up old wounds but that's where you make a, a bad Taylor Hall trade and, and next thing you know people are looking at that and saying how could you make that deal that that right. was a, that that's the type of deal the Flames can't make a deal where they're well we got to do something, but what I do think that Brad Treliving needs to think about is going into this off season motivated by and aimed at making his core group better, shaking his core group up and and putting them in a situation where they can suddenly say that this is going to be a better team and have a better chance of going deep in the postseason. Johnny Gaudreau has shown that the playoffs is not where he plays his best hockey. It's just not. He was extremely ineffective at 5-on-5. Sean Monaghan a little more effective at 5-on-5, but for a guy that has been a 20-goal scorer every season he's been in this league and a three-time 30-goal scorer, for him to put up the points that he did at 5-on-5 and for him to be as pedestrian that he was 5-on-5, like these things can happen for what they're getting paid. So I, I think that they have maybe started a bit of a shift organizationally in terms of 
who their untouchable players are and when it what where it was. Gaudreau and Monaghan, I think it's moved away to now looking at Kachuk and Lindholm and Rasmus Anderson and Andrew Majapani and Dylan Dubé and guys like that to start building the team around and, and look at as their untouchable core. And, and I think that they would try to affect some sort of hockey trade if there's one out there, including one of those guys. And I'm talking more along the lines of P.K. Subban for Shea Weber or Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones, a trade like that where it's it's a hockey trade. Both teams are getting something that can help them right now as opposed to a rebuilding trade where you give up a, a player on your roster and get a prospect and a pick. I don't believe that's yeah. the type of deal the Flames will make, but I, I honestly do believe that the, the hockey operations group will be looking to shake up this core and, and make at least one significant move to the team and, and see if they can target somebody they believe can step in and be a little bit more effective when the games are at their most difficult. All right, and we're running very, very short on time, so I'll, I'll just want the short answer. Jeff Ward, does he, uh, does he return as head coach? I think he should, Dave. I think that he has done a good enough job and, and has connected enough with this team that he should get another chance. I, My confidence level would be 50-50 at best, maybe a little lower. So I think he should. I really do. Do I think he will? Uh, my gut would say no, he won't be back as head coach next year. Right on. Pat, as always, we always appreciate Appreciate your time, and uh, the Flames are definitely a team, again, we will be watching very closely and with a lot of uh, interest in the offseason. Thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Good to chat with you, brother. Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, wrapping up the Flames season. Nikita Kucherov, who hasn't scored in four straight games, hasn't recorded a point in four straight games, has picked up his third goal of the playoffs. The Lightning have tied things up in Toronto. Game two of their second-round playoff series of the Boston Bruins and the Lightning trying to tie the series up at one. Back to wrap up the first hour in a moment. Krejci right of the net to Martian. Back to Krejci, right corner. Back up top, it comes Krug. Near circle, Pasternak. Looks across, fires deflected, they score! Pasternak with a snap pass to the far post, directed in by Martian. A power play goal. Bruins two, Lightning one. That was Marshawn's fifth goal of the playoffs. Power play goal. Nikita Kucherov has replied with his third at even strength. And it's 2-2 late into the second period, actually at the end of the second period. 2-2 uh, Bruins and Lightning still to come here in Edmonton. The Vegas Golden Knights will play the Vancouver Canucks game two of their second round Western Conference uh, playoff series with the Canucks looking to even up that series at one after being blasted 5 nothing in game number one. Hey, uh, a great honor for uh, Jermaine Small today, head coach of the uh, Edmonton Stingers. He was named coach of the year from the uh, summer series in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, won by the Edmonton Stingers. And uh, Coach Small will join us after 7.30 during the second hour 6.30 chat inside sports. After the news update with David Bowles from the 6.30 chat 24-hour news center, talk uh, more items, including... 
The NHL's plans for next season. When will it start? How will it look? Lots of things on the table. Let's just call it fluid right now. Dave Campbell in for Reed Wilkins this week on 630 Chad Inside Sports. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.